What we do here is go back, 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 back. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's, where I get a chance to sit down with fascinating folks from all walks of life to talk to them about where they are now, how they got there, and some of the challenges they've had to overcome along the way. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. So uh, we are recording and... um, I mean, we can we can pretty much we can pretty much just uh, get right into it. I am here with Bedros Koulian. I am I am so uh, excited and feel so lucky to have him with us today. Um, I'm as I've learned to do now. I am not going to try to describe exactly what he does because I've found out that it comes it comes out better coming from the horse's mouth with everyone. Um, and we're going to get into his whole story, which I think is amazing. And just to give a shout out to Jay Ferugia, who is our, uh, friend in common, who, who linked Bedros and I together. Uh, he has an incredible interview with Bedros on his podcast. I'm sure we'll cover some of the same things because I was fascinated by them, but we'll also get into our own riff, I believe. Um, but that, that's another one that's called Renegade Radio and, uh, just a shout out to, to Jay with that. Um, he's been around for a while and if anyone's interested in a great podcast, you should, uh, definitely check that out. And, and particularly the one that he did with Bedros. Um, so dude. W- welcome or I'll welcome me. I'm in your empire. <laughs> yeah, right no, I, I was just going to say, dude, welcome to our headquarters. It's, it's surreal. Like I've, I've, I watch you on TV. I, I, my wife and I went to hot pursuit and I, that really is one of my favorite movies i love reese reese witherspoon and uh and then to have seen you in there and then meet you afterwards it's it's a very surreal thing because i'm just that foreign kid who's got an office running a building and i've got you in it now and so it's kind of a pinch me it's, moment. it's so funny a pinch even me this moment. past weekend it was like i'm sitting there rapping with you for two hours i'm like this can't be happening oh see i'm thinking the opposite and that's that's what's funny that's what's been really cool for me um doing this podcast is you know you sit down with people and well for example today um we your schedule is so crazy that i set it up with your assistant over a month ago and she just gave me this date and this time slot and i said yes because i didn't want to miss you and as it turns out, I have tons of things going on in my life <laughs> to the point where it's probably dumb that I'm here right now. I actually didn't realize the kids had no school. I have my son is uh, is hanging out in the headquarters right now, which that was actually nice. We got a little father son road trip out here. Um, I got to say that there is a there's a bit of a sensey uh, a a healthy sense of of pressure that I have on me. Cause I got to make this count for you because you've got so much going on with your new move. There's nothing, there's yeah. nothing you could do wrong here. That's why I wanted to sit down with you. There's literally nothing you could do wrong. First of all, um, the headquarters, just to give you that is, uh, it's a place called fit body bootcamp. And, um, why don't you, you know what, this would be a nice segue into your story, which, um, of, of how you came to be, here doing what you do and you can get into it but go all the way back actually go back if you can to your dad's story because that's that's amazing i mean you know my my dad my my dad is my hero i mean there's no way to no way to even uh be able to explain 
what a, what a hero my dad is to me because in 1980, uh, June, let's see here, June, I got the exact date, June 13th, 1980, we escaped the Soviet Union. My dad was a member of the Communist Party, not by choice, because people go, well, why was he a member of the Communist Party if you say that he wanted to escape and you guys were so pro-democracy? Um, you know, when they come to you and say, hey, we want you to be a member of the Communist Party, do you accept? Yeah, it's a choice. But yeah. if you say no, you're being shipped off to Siberia never to be seen again. And so he accepted that, you know, in the in the 70s. And um, man, but on June 13th, 1980, we escaped the Soviet Union, Armenia, which is where we're from. And Armenia was under Soviet Union rule. And we uh, we faked it as though we're going to a vacation in Italy. So my dad bribed the Russian consult. And so one guy in there knew that we were escaping. And we went to Italy. When we got to Italy, we went into the American consult and said, Hey, um, you know, my, my dad said, I'm a, I'm a communist. I denounce communism. I'm pro America, pro democracy. And we want to come to the United States. If you send us back, I'll probably be executed. And so at the time, of course, the Cold War was going on. What, how old were you at this point? I was six years old. Okay. I was six years old. So, you know, one time someone asked me, well, were you, were you nervous at all? And I said, well, I wasn't nervous because was, when you're a kid, you're with your mom and dad. You're good. Right. You're good. Everything's, you know, the world is fine when you're with mom and dad. Now, my older brother and my older sister, and they're significantly older than me because uh, my brother's 14 years older than me. My sister is 16 years older than me. Wow. And uh, I was the oops baby. And <laughs> they, actually, just a few years ago, my dad admitted that finally. I'm like, come on, it's obvious, right? It's obvious. Why is there a big gap in our age, you know? Yeah. But anyway, so my older brother and sister were obviously nervous. You know, they had to have the bigger culture change. But for me, I still, we came to this country, man. I didn't speak English. I didn't understand the culture. We were poor and we were broke. Uh, folks ask me to explain the difference between poor and broke. Uh, broke is, you know, someone like someone like you, someone like me, we can make one bad financial decision and go broke. Maybe it was an investment that we thought it was going to work out and it didn't. We might go broke, right. but we've got the know-how how to dig ourselves out of that hole. Uh, you know, I've read Donald Trump's books before in the past and you know, it talks about how he went broke like two or three times before and Every real affluent person at some point has gotten broke before by making some bad financial decisions. Poor, on the other hand, is a state of mind. And we were broke and we were poor when we came to this country. And poor is living in scarcity, having doubts about whether, you know, I could see my dad and my mom talking about it right in front of me. Because, you know, when you're the little one, you're kind of also invisible. Right. And they were doubting, did we make the right decision to come here? Maybe we shouldn't have come to this country. We had no money no one spoke the language. We didn't understand the culture. We would, my dad had the saying in Armenian, he would say, we run out of money before we run out of month. And that was, you know, to, to that got so ingrained in me that I had this relationship with money where money was for rich people, not foreigners like us who come to this country. And I'm the type of person who will always run out of money before I run out of month. And so I have to choose whether we're going to have electricity or water or gas. Like, that was a common thing in our in our household growing up. Well, in the apartments that we lived in. Um, but but all that said, you know, I often call myself the immigrant edge because all of those things that happened to me while we were poor and broke and dumpster diving for food. And um, one time we we lived in a really bad apartment. It was a in Santa Ana, the slums, and I, I got lice as a kid. At this point, I was probably seven seven and a half years old. And as it turns out. Uh, my, my mom and dad couldn't afford lice treatment. And so my mom 
did what any mom would do, I suppose, and got resourceful. She said, told my dad to go pump some gas out of the, the Ford LTD that we had. And she washed my hair with gasoline because we had no lice treatment. We couldn't afford the three to five dollars that it would cost for lice treatment. Um, but but that taught me a lesson. You know, when you don't have food, you can't just starve. You have to get resourceful. Can we do that later? Is it possible? Yeah. All yeah. right. Thank you. We'll do, come back. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Is there any way to edit? I don't know if that's. What, and we could just edit that out or whatever. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, but. You know what? And before, because I, I want to hear that. Even can you give the story? I was trying to tell my son on the way here. I, I I find this to be amazing, and it gives it just. You may take it as eh, whatever. For me, it frames everything. What your father did as a tailor in the Soviet, how oh, yeah. you got out. Yeah, I yeah, find yeah. that story the to money be something that out, of to a, out of out yeah. of a movie. I mean, dude. So, so so he was a tailor, and and you know in the Soviet countries. No one, no one has a uh, their own job. You don't have your own business. Everybody works for the man, right, for the government. And so he was the head of a men's suit alterations manufacturing department. And so he was like the head tailor. And I think he said he managed like twenty or thirty other tailors and seamstresses. And they give you so much material. I think whatever it was, let's say it's like ten yards for two suits, right? And you're yeah. supposed to make a suit jacket, a pair of pants, and a and a vest out of it. Well, he was able to put the patterns so close together. And the patterns are very, I don't know if you've ever seen the patterns of, uh, I see my dad came, when we came to America, he ultimately opened up a little tailor shop. So I um, I understand patterns, but they're like paper patterns of what the suit's going to look like. And he would put the patterns so close together that after making about 10 or 12 suits, he would have enough material left over that he could salvage, take home and make a suit kind of you know, under the table right. and sell it. And he would sell it to pretty affluent people like KGB agents, yeah. you know, like some other communist members, right? And so he did this for so many years and he he put together 25,000 rubles by selling basically suits that were off the record because, you know. Right, because, yeah. Right? And, uh, and I go, man, you, you were so advanced in the way you thought. He goes, dude, I was so advanced. So he couldn't have a, a, a meter stick because, you know, over there it's the metrics. So we had a meter stick, chalk, all that stuff. Anything that looked like you might be working. So he couldn't home. have that at home. No. He had to go by eye. Exactly. Because one time, and I do remember this, it was about probably three to four months before we escaped. Uh, we got a knock on the door and two guys came in, dressed nice. I later found out those were KGB agents. See, that never happens here. No no FBI agent is ever going <laughs> to knock on your door and just storm right in. They're going to have a search warrant or something, right? Uh, these guys knocked on the door. I remember it was dark outside. They lined us all in the hallway that we have in the in Armenia. And they started asking my dad, we know you're making, we, you know, we know you're making garments. We know you're, you're doing something out of here. And we're going to search and we're going to look for what we're, you know, what we think you have. And they were looking for chalk. Uh, meter stick, you know, sewing machine, all this stuff. And he had none of it. Some of the stuff he had, but he had hid so well because some things you do need. Other things he would literally take back to work with him the next morning and then bring it back as he needed it, wow. right? And so he would stuff it down his pants. Like, talk about getting resourceful. I mean, how do you walk when you've got like a meter stick stuff? Well, you know, one of my favorite films of all time is Shawshank Redemption. Oh, I love that. And love that that's what it reminds me of. Andy Dufresne having that vision and that, you know, for your dad, it was America in the movie. It was Zuantanejo, and and uh, he 
had the pick. You know, I love they reveal it at the end yeah. that he had the the pickaxe in the Bible carved out, and he was just taking a little bit, bit every day, and then he would crumble it in his pockets and walk the yard and get rid of the yeah. the the cement or whatever he was going through. And and the idea that he had this vision that he was going toward, and he had this plan that he was executing along the way, little by little. And that reminds me of your dad. And it reminds me of you when I came here today and I said, you gave me the tour and you have how many 40 employees and yeah, 42 employees. everybody is really legitimately enthusiastic about being here. And I said, man, you have really done it on such a high level here. You, you, and, and you said, and I love that you said this in front of my son was, yeah, this is the headquarters now that you're seeing and, and you know, the office is this big and the headquarters, it's a big building and yeah. it's beautiful and all that. But if you came six months ago, you would have seen me crammed into this other place where we were for nine years. Right. And, and, but then you said you've been operating, even when you were there, you operated as though you were here. And I think that's something that you must have, you must have through osmosis gotten from your dad 100%. and elsewhere. Um, and I just love for people to hear that, that it starts with a vision and then it starts with an action plan and you are the living embodiment of the American dream, really. And yeah. and if you go in also the dumpster diving, because yeah. go into that, what your dad had you do when he would hoist you up. Yeah, and- yeah. Well, all right. So, so let me tell you how, how accurate you are. I, I did learn that through environmental exposure to my dad because... Uh, he just took his time and made one suit at a time and saved his pennies so that we can escape to America. But while we were living in Armenia under Soviet rule, it's a pretty depressed society. It just is. You look at pictures of, of any communist from any communist country, even now, people don't smile. My wife had noticed this. I never noticed because I'm from the culture. She goes, how come no one ever smiles and shows their teeth? It's a depressed society. And I don't care what they say about communism. I come from communism. It's not good. And, uh, and, and so for me, just like I remember seeing my dad, he would wear Ray-Bans. He had American Ray-Ban glasses, Jordache jeans, dude, right? And Adidas shoes. And he would wear that on the weekends. And, and he enjoyed the American way as much as he could in a communist country. And so they would let him, I'm surprised they would even. Yeah. It was kind of, once it was brought into the country and sold, you know, it was okay. It's not like he went out and bought it. Yeah. Right. From like, he didn't come to the country here to the United States and get it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was brought in for all I know it was knockoffs, but he knew like this is, these are American brands and that's how American my dad was in a communist country, having never been here before. And, um, so when we're operating out of that, you know, that dump that I was telling you about that used to be our corporate office for the last nine years in my head, the building that I pictured was this that we're in now. And by the way, this place where we are right now, we're, we're doing this interview in this beautiful library here. There's a, you know, there's an elevator that's beautiful. But my son was commenting on, you know, you have a plant in the elevator. Yeah. You got the flat screen TVs out there. You've got the, what do you call it? The school section? Oh, the, the learning center. The yeah. learning center where yeah. they're doing seminars. You've got yeah. the sales team in one section. You've got the operations, the, the operations in the other. It's, it's really yeah. impeccably done. So that so. absolutely is environmental exposure. Like I saw how he lived a Western, you know, democratic life in a communist world. 
And so I operated like I was living and operating out of this building, out of a 4,000 square foot little dump that we were renting from a, our landlord was an angry divorce attorney for the last nine years, right? Just been the last six months that I own and built out this building. So anyway, that was through absolutely environmental exposure. And um, so as we came here, it's almost like, was it Schindler's List where the guy was playing with the little kid that had a little game going in the concentration camp? Um, I think it was, but I haven't seen that since the theater. So okay. I could, but, but I think it was Schindler's List where there was like the older guy who was playing cute little games with the little boy in the concentration camp so that the little boy didn't realize that he was there. That he was yeah. there. And so I think my dad did do that with me where, hey, we're going to go on a fun little trip. Where are we going, dad? We're going to the grocery store, but we're going to the back of the grocery store. Well, when he would pump gas, there was a grocery store in the same shopping center. It was called Alpha Beta. This is here in the States. Here in the States now. Yeah, yeah. Here in the States in the the early 80s. And uh, my dad had discovered that grocery stores throw away foods that are expired. Breads that's expired. You can't sell it. Hot dogs, bologna, cheese, milk, eggs. When it's expired, it may not necessarily be bad. They just can't sell it. And so he would hoist me up into the dumpsters. And for me, it was a treasure hunt. And so he would, get the cheese. Okay, get the bread. Get that lettuce. Your mom could just tear off the bad leaves on top. And there's got to be a small, good lettuce in there. And there always was. And so sometimes my mom, I would see her, she'd pick off the mold from the bread. And then she'd batter it in in the eggs that we found. And then the bag of flour. And she'd fry the egg and uh, the bread and the egg. And we'd eat it. It was like a French toast before I even knew what a French toast was, you know. So um, I hope you don't mind me saying a little cuss word. She would make chicken salad out of chicken shit was the analogy that I would always, like, give as I got older and realized. She would just find moldy bread and moldy cheese and and moldy bologna and egg and somehow make something out of it, you know. But we never went to bed hungry. And so, again, I learned when you don't have resources, you get resourceful. You know, you look at adversity as an advantage. And so as I grew up, and I was a fat kid because I grew up eating just crap food, right? And we did have government assistance at some point. So we were getting, you know, the government cheese, the government peanut butter and all that stuff, white bread and bologna. And I I was eating it like it was going out of style. So as I got into high school, I realized, man, I'm a... I'm a pretty fat dude. Thirty, you know, that's when you start getting self-aware, right? Kind yeah. of after yeah. elementary school, at least for me, it was. And and senior year was coming, and I had the hots for this girl named Nakaya. And uh, I, had, you know, all my friends were talking about the prom. We're gonna, you know, the prom's coming. What are you gonna wear? Who are you gonna who are you gonna ask? It's like all I knew. I didn't know what I was gonna wear, but I was gonna ask Nakaya. And Nakaya wasn't gonna say yes unless I looked like the kind of guy that she would date. Right. And so I spent the summer year, um, the, the summer before senior year. Uh, working out like a machine, reading every muscle magazine I can get my hands on, you know, trying to correct my nutrition, which was bad. I was literally eating Diet Coke and pretzels and cans of tuna because I thought I had heard tuna builds muscle because yeah. protein, right? What, what did I know? But <laughs> I did the best I could. And so I come back senior year, thirty weighing 35 pounds less. You know, after three months of working out, I, I had some muscle on me, nothing impressive. So I felt so good about myself. My self-esteem was through the roof. Confidence is through the roof. I'm walking with the swagger. Like all the guys are paying attention to me. Like, dude, you look great. You look awesome. But I never had the confidence to ask out Nakaya to the prom. So I never went to the prom. But working out the summer before senior year and having Nakaya as my motivation was what led me into this industry of fitness. I said, I just want to help other people once I leave high school. I want to be a personal trainer. I want to help other people lose fat, build muscle, and regain confidence and self-esteem because I was invisible when I was fat. 
And I get it. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of kids who are overweight who have great self-esteem. I wasn't one of them. Yeah. I was invisible. Yeah. And when I lost the weight, I became visible. And that meant something to me. Like all of a sudden this foreign kid who gets laughed at, like other guys were like, dude, you look good. You know, how'd you do it? What did you do? Can you show me in the gym? And finally I had something to show someone, you know, yeah. finally I, the, I had some, a little bit of meaning as a high school student who's that foreigner walking around campus by himself. I hated lunch. All I would do is just walk around fucking campus and wait for lunch to be over. So class would start. Everyone else wants lunch to happen. I didn't. So anyway, um, but that changed my trajectory in life, man. I, I knew fitness was my path. I went and got certified after high school. And weren't you going to be uh, a smog technician? I was. Wasn't that, was kind, gonna, of, wasn't yeah. that kind of like previous uh, to that? Yeah. yeah. Every, every Armenian. I hope my parents. So <laughs> I hope my parents don't listen to this. They don't listen to the podcast. But every Armenian ends up either working at like a butcher shop, a bakery, or a mechanic. That's just that's just how it is. Yeah. You know that's just how it is. And so my ambitions were: well, I like cars. I'm going to go be a smog technician. You know, I'll be. I'll be working on cars all day long. What could be better? You know, I'll take a lunch break, eat sandwiches with the other mechanics, and, and I'm good. Like, that was my ambition. Talk about setting your sights low. There's nothing wrong with being a mechanic. It's just I don't think that anyone had ever encouraged me to think bigger, dream bigger. Yeah. Until I lost that weight and realized I could maybe help others do this. Right. And is there a service that because the, 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 a service I can offer? And Oh, my gosh, it's called personal training. And I remember reading in the back of the muscle magazines, uh, it, it said those little fractional ads in the muscle, muscle magazines. It said, uh, become a certified personal trainer, earn up to $100 an hour. Now, Matt, I'm not a mathematician, but I did the math. $100 an hour. If I train six clients a day, that gives me time to work out and eat. That's 600 bucks a day. I could live off 600 bucks a day the rest of my life. Yeah. Little did I know you needed to know how to market and sell and, uh, you know, really convert leads and prospects into clients. And so I ended up being the personal trainer who was certified, but I also was a bouncer and at a, at a bar and a, actually was a bouncer at a gay bar, if I'm going to be totally honest, because the gay bar paid more than the straight bar. Yeah. And, uh, and I was a fry cook at Disneyland all while I was a personal trainer in the beginning, the first three years in my, in my mid twenties. That sounds like the beginning of my acting career. Oh, well, then, <laughs> oh yeah, I was in I was in class. I was working the counter at California Pizza Kitchen on 60th and 3rd. Yeah. I was bartending at a place called Blackfin on on 52nd and 2nd and then later at a place called Turtle Bay across the street. Uh, you know, it's like mul working multiple shifts. There was one yeah. point on Wednesdays I'd be at California Pizza Kitchen. I'd eat my my shift meal and I'd walk over to Blackfin and bartend yeah. that night. And then I'd be in class and then I'd be meeting with scene partners in any of the five boroughs. And you're doing all of this uh, and just for the chance to maybe someday be able to be an actor. You know, it's I I, I was doing plays for free. It's, it's very similar. Yeah. But it was your passion. Like you yeah. knew like my purpose on this planet is that. And so you're willing to pay your dues. Like I knew my purpose at that point, senior year, I wasn't even devastated that Nakaya wasn't, I didn't have the nerve to ask her out and, and that, you know, gee, she should ask me out or whatever. I didn't even think of that. It's like, you know what? I got bigger and better fish to fry. Yeah. I knew like I finally discovered my purpose and it's not to be a smog technician. It is to be a personal trainer and it is to help people achieve fitness and fat loss and then, you know, blossom with their confidence and self-esteem just like I had done. And and so I was willing to, I'll be a bouncer in the middle of the night, I'll be a fry cook, and I'll be a personal trainer early in the mornings until I can make it happen, just like you, working all those side gigs, knowing that one day I'm going to get to 
I'm going to get paid for what I do. Even when you did the, dude, my first client uh, paid me $11 an hour and I would go to her house to train her. One day I did the math and I realized between gas and time and the one hour of training I gave her, I was losing money. Yeah. And I didn't care. I still went there three days a week to train her in her apartment. I carried my dumbbells up there and my yeah. elastic bands, you know. <laughs> but but that's what you do. You did the free plays. Yeah. That's what you do to pay the dues. And when people ask me today, like, hey, what's the fastest way to build a social media following? What's the fastest way to make a million dollars? What's the fastest way to get, you know, thousands of customers and clients? I go, I don't know one way to get 100 clients. But I do know 100 ways to get one client. And I've built my empire one client and customer at a time. I saw my dad do it. When he was younger, I'm hearing you say that now, you know, that it was just probably one play, one little uh, 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 maybe TV show or commercial or whatever at a time until you have that big break. Yeah. You know, and the big break isn't a big break, man. It's a it's a drop that turns into a little trickle that turns into a stream that turns into a river over time. It's, yeah. it's, I agree. I always sad. people ask, you know, about the big break. Um I've yet to have the big break and I and I have morphed my philosophy to now believe that you have a big break but not the big break. You know there are a series of you know good fortunate things if I look back and go that really helped me go from this pool of you know everybody who's calling themselves an actor to this pool who are now union and then I gone from this one to now I've been paid to do this. I've been you know from this one now to I've worked on you know, X show or Y show yeah. or Z show, whatever it might be, and you're in a smaller and smaller pool, nothing on its own seems to have been life-altering the way I used to imagine it when I was younger. I'd go, you you know, I thought when I got Sopranos, I, th I had this vision in my head of my life. Yeah, completely. That, that's what I thought. It, it, yeah. it definitely, that show in particular helped a lot, but not you know, I'm still riding the subway around and I was still, you know, I went back and bartended after that. Yep. I mean, I, I thought I was kind of out of that gig. I was back in it. And yep. then I, and then I got out, you know, it, it wasn't like it was a you know, overnight, as you say. Yeah. There, and so I, I get a little, these days, I get a little uh, irritated when people are looking for that fast break, but I also realized the current environment, the current culture that we have of social media and everything is short attention span. The the one minute video that you watched yesterday that made you cry means nothing tomorrow. It's like, wait a minute, there was a message there that made you cry. You know, why don't you think about it? If it made you cry, maybe it stirred some emotions that you need to, you know, kind of look deeper into, follow that anxiety trail. Uh, did it have some meaning in your life? We're just so quick to move on to the next thing. We just want that fast break. Dude, I'm a 20-year overnight success, and, right. and and maybe there are people who get the fast breaks, but I just don't know how they do it, and uh, if someone could show me, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, yeah. tell me a little bit about the um, the your first guy that you were, one of the first guys you were training. Uh, I remember Franco. you telling this, this story about after, I don't know, three months of training him, yeah. and he said, what are you doing? You're an order taker yeah, or yeah, something? Yeah. What was yeah, he was probably the most curmudgeon-y, uh, uh, just rough around the edges entrepreneur that I'd ever met up to that point. I've, I've met some just as curmudgeonly since. Uh, his name is Jim Franco, and he was one of my personal training clients. And so I trained him at the LA Fitness in La Habra, California here, three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, like two o'clock in the afternoon. And so he was in his early 60s, fairly good shape, very confident. Like when he walked in, people turned their head. And it's not like he was tall and, and handsome. He was just he was very of average build, average size, but there was some aura about him that turned heads. 
And so one day he had come in and uh, I was I was eating my lunch out of my Tupperware and I left the personal training office door halfway open and I was inside and he kind of pushes the door open and he goes, are you a personal trainer? I go, yes, sir, I am. He goes, well, how much does personal training cost? And I you know, laid out my prices, you know, $40 a session if you come four days a week, you know, 45 if you come three days a week. He goes, all right, I want to come three days a week. Okay. Um, what do you, what, what else do you want? Well, I want to come for six months. I really want to see if I can get rid of this last 10, 15 pounds. Okay, great. So I signed him up. Three months into training him, one day he, I don't know if he was just having a bad day or he just felt sorry for me. I like to think that he felt sorry for me because I would <laughs> periodically drop a hint like, man, Jim, I, I hate working here at LA Fitness because the reality for any personal trainer, anyone's ever been through the fitness industry. They're taking all your money, yes, right? Yes, big yeah. box gyms are the trenches. Like yeah. you are just, you're, you're being milked. Yeah. They're taking 90% of the money, you're getting 10%. That's yeah. just how it is. Having said that, I realize now I should have had more gratitude they give you fish in a barrel. Right. You, you, you need, they give you miles on the road. That's yes. what I always look at it. They exactly. give you miles on the road. You know you're getting screwed, but you need those miles before you can go out on your own. If exactly. you try to go out on your own too soon, you're going exactly. to not make it. And, and, and so and so anyway, so Jim comes in one day at, at, at his normal time and halfway through our workout, he goes, you know, I just want to tell you something. You know, you never sold me any personal training. I, I said, actually, I did. You, you bought three times a week for six months. He goes, no, no, no. You're an order taker, kid. And, and he, he would, I can tell when he was irritable, he'd call me kid. And I said, well, what, what's the order taker, Jim? He goes, you know, I came in looking to work out three days a week and I knew I wanted six months and you just took a, took my order like a, like a server at a, at a restaurant. I was like, holy crap. You know, on one side of me, this hurts. On the other side, he's absolutely right. I go, Jim, wh why do you say that? I'm curious. And I was just, it truly was curious. I wasn't even that offended anymore. He goes, well, because over the last few months, I see you let people walk who should be working with you. They should be giving you money and working with you. And I wonder, are they walking to go get lap band? Are they walking to go buy infomercial gadgets? Are they walking to go get a personal trainer elsewhere? And I know you're a pretty good trainer. So if they get a trainer elsewhere, they're getting someone inferior, but someone who probably has sales skills. So you're an order taker. And so they're looking to be sold and you're not selling them. I go, all right, so what do I do? The next day he shows up with a Tom Hopkins sales tape. And Tom Hopkins is this like old, another old curmudgeon guy who teaches you how to like buy and sell real estate. But it was all about sales. Yeah. So I listened to Tom Hopkins. Tom Hopkins is talking about Brian Tracy. Brian Tracy's talking about, you know, Dan Kennedy. Dan Kennedy's talking about like the next marketing guy. So I'm just following all these creative people. And all of a sudden I realize at some point that I'm learning marketing and sales like, like no one's business. And I remember one day Dan Kennedy was talking about this motivational speaker named Tony Robbins, right? Yeah. Which you and I talked about. Yeah. You were sitting yeah. there like like front and center. And so I'm like, oh, Tony Robbins. So I couldn't even afford Tony Robbins tapes. And so I went and bought them off eBay. Someone had dubbed like uh, burnt CDs, right? Yeah. I think for like 18 or 20 bucks, I bought Unleash the Giant Within or Unleash the Whatever Within. Oh, um, Standing on the shoulders of giants is what it was. Oh, okay. And I remember going through that program and going, holy cow. So all of a sudden I'm learning self-development, marketing, and sales, and my numbers are going through the roof. I'm no longer a fry cook at Disneyland. I'm not a bouncer at a bar. And I go, this is my path. And ultimately I used some of that money and leveraged it into opening up my first personal training studio, you know? And I look back and I think about Jim and granted he was a little harsh and maybe he was a bit curmudgeon -y, but this guy was my first business mentor. Yeah. And without him, I wouldn't be here today and I wouldn't be making the impact on millions of lives every morning, you know? Yeah. No, huge. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then so you opened the, you opened the the um, you call it a training gym. Was that just a smaller studio like the size of this room, yeah. and yeah. and you train there, and then other personal trainers would train there for what like a, a an hourly rate they would pay you guys, and then they would have a private gym. How did I, that work? I had realized at that point that uh, having other personal trainers pay you to rent the place was kind of the kiss of death because uh-huh. they might. They might pay me to rent the place for, let's say, whatever, every month, right? Let's say $500 a month. Yeah. Well, they might sell you a year of personal training, and then they'll sell, sell Diana and Deidre and everybody else a year of personal training, and then they go away. The client comes back and says, hey, the trainer who worked here for you. I said, no, no, they don't, they don't work for me. They were just paying rent. Well, they just sold me a year of personal training, and now they're gone. It's like, oh, sorry, they were an independent contractor. So I learned that very quickly within my first few months. And so in my 2,000 square foot little gym, all we did was one-on-one personal training. You couldn't buy a gym membership to work out on your own. And I started to hire personal trainers. And I said, look, I'll do the selling. I'll convert these people into clients. And then we just split the money. I get 60%. You get 40%. And so- So you were like a mini gym. Yeah. You were like a better deal for the trainers than going and working for a crunch or 24-hour fitness. But you- you took a cut, but you did the sales. So they, yeah, they just had to go. They had to deliver just the service. Deliver just deliver the which service, which is what you just told me this morning about what's happening now. I, I mean, I don't know if we want to flash forward to now and then go back there, or but but I just want to link it to that's exactly what Bedros uh, described to me as what he does now with Fit Body Bootcamp. They sell franchises uh, to Fit Body Bootcamp, but. This entire building, this entire 40 person, 42 person staff is dedicated to creating websites and marketing and, and, you know, even negotiating your, your lease on your space, all of it. So that if you wanted to go open a franchise, you basically come to these guys, you sign in with them. There's, there's a buy-in fee, there's a monthly, but then basically you, it, the way I described it, I said, oh, the artist gets to do the art yeah. and you guys take care of all the things. So it, it's interesting yeah. hearing you now, you were doing the mini version of this yeah. back then. Yeah. Because you fixed... realized, oh, the sales part is the hard part. Oh, man. You know, like I was telling you when I was giving, giving you and Donovan the tour um, of our headquarters, you know, when you become a personal trainer, you just want to help people. Like no one says I'm going to become a personal trainer to become rich. You, I became a personal trainer because... You know, I lost the weight, changed my life. I'm willing to wake up at four in the morning to train you at 4.30 or 4.45 for your first session. And I'm willing to stay till 8.30, 9 o'clock at night to train you when you leave your work and before you get home, you know, because I had two two patients or two clients who were dentists and they would, you know, leave their offices at 7, 7.30 at night and they'd work out with me. And then, so, you know, no trainer is willing to wake up early uh, because... It, of the money, because the money's never that great. So I had to learn to sell and market. I didn't want to learn to sell market. I just wanted to be the artist, like you said, to do mm-hmm. my art, transform your physique, get you so inspired by today's workout that you know it's going to suck tomorrow. You're still going to sweat, and it's going to burn. It's going to hurt, but you're going to want to come in. Yeah. And so, man, when I figured out how to sell and market, I knew that I can get these other personal trainers to work for me because I took away the biggest pain they had, selling and marketing. And so as I opened up, you know, one location became two and I had five personal training gyms in, down in San Diego at some point um, and ultimately sold those gyms. I had a really good opportunity to, to be bought out. And so I took that. This was around 2002. Uh-huh. I go, man, the Internet's really jumping off here. 
do I want to open up more gyms or do I want to take this money and start coaching and consulting personal trainers? Because I really enjoyed helping personal trainers build their business at that point. And trainers who weren't competitive with me in San Diego, in other words, they were like on, in North County, San Diego, yeah, yeah. they'd reach out to me and say, hey, you know, I, I see you have five gyms in, 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 you know, further down in San Diego. Any chance you can tell me what you're doing to, for marketing? And I would just ask them, where are you located? And if yeah. they were more than like 10 miles away from me, because the average client doesn't go more than three to five miles from a gym. I'd, I'd help them for free over the phone. And I enjoyed that process, right? Because right. to me, it's like, wow, I'm helping some client out in northern San Diego get in shape and that person will never know me because if I can help this trainer get more clients. Right. And, 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 so, and so I really love the idea of coaching and consulting. So in 2003, I started coaching and consulting personal trainers in their business. And I realized I was really good at teaching them lead generation, marketing, how to get referrals, retention, create culture and community, how to differentiate yourself from being just a like those big box gyms. Once I figured that out, to me, I had I had gotten the golden keys. And I said, there's only one thing missing here now. Every one of these trainers know how to market and sell and train and retain, get referrals, but they don't have a unified brand and a system. And so what if I created a unified brand? And I asked my coaching clients, like, guys, if I created a unified brand, instead of you having, you know, Matt's Fitness Gym and Bedros's Fitness Gym. Would you guys get on board with my unified brand? Yeah, sure, of course. That's, it was around 2009 in the depths of the recession that I created Fit Body Bootcamp. Huh. And I said that I'm going to create this brand and it's going to have systems. And I'm going to try and do as much as I can for these trainers of the things that they don't like to do. Create the systems, operations, um, websites. Right, especially back then, two thousand nine. It's not a drag and drop like it is today to make a website. Right, like it was pretty hard to make yeah. a website. So yeah, I think you had to have like HTML, right? Or whatever it was. Right. Yeah, it was it was really dude. Difficult. So I my whole theory was I'm going to take away all the pain of being a personal trainer and let you do what you do best as an artist. What I wish someone would have done for me when I was younger in the industry, and that's really how Fit Body Bootcamp came to be. Yeah, it's amazing the whole this whole morning since I got here. Uh, Everything you've been saying, I've, I've never really quite seen it this way. The link between the fitness world and what you do and actors in terms of everything you're saying, I'm going, huh, could there be a fit body boot camp for actors? Because it's the same thing. I mean, actors don't know. Everybody that comes to me, I, I teach as well. And then I, I go speak to classes when they graduate some some. Um, schools in LA uh, when they're graduating, you go speak. And and the, the overriding theme to all of the talkbacks, everybody is wondering, well, how do you do this out in the real world? We've gone through a, a three-year conservatory. We've been working on the craft. And then I come in and talk to them about what it's really like out there. Yeah. And a lot of what I discuss is the things that are not talked about in acting class, but things that are logistics in any business, which is, you know, keep a low overhead, um, uh, keep yourself sustainable because in the beginning it's hard, but it, you know, it, but then there's all this stuff with, with websites and now with social media, yeah. it, it would really be, it's, it's interesting. Like your, your business model converts, um, to certainly to my field and I'm sure to many other fields, um, mm. and you're also reminding me of my cousin, Jonathan Ferrara, who I should have on the show, who, uh, went to new Orleans. He was kind of in the corporate world, went to new Orleans 20 something years ago and just started painting and creating art out of nowhere. 
And he kind of started to get known as an artist and he kind of, you know, broke away. And then what he did was he, he similar path to you. He started to realize he was good with the business side of things. Yeah. And he ended up getting a space. He had a gallery and then he represented artists and they would work out of his gallery and he would kind of take care of the marketing sure. and the business side of things. And he's done well for himself doing that. He still has a a hand in the art, but his wife, who's really a pure artist, makes fun of him that and she's like, Oh, you're a you know, you're a wolf in sheep's yeah, clothes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wolf in, in sheep's clothes. You're you're not an artist anymore. And he's like, I'm an artist, but he does spend a lot of time mm -hmm. with the business. And you it's a similar trajectory that you you're describing to me. You know what? And and what I found, because I know I would have paid, I would have paid a fee on a monthly basis if you had come to me when I was a starving personal trainer. I don't want to be a fry cook and a personal trainer. I don't want to be a bouncer and a personal I remember thinking, you know, there's probably no one who's like a nurse and a fry cook. There, there's no one who's a doctor and a fry cook. There's no yeah. cop, right? <laughs> yet, yet in the personal training industry and acting industry, yeah. our industries are really similar. Now yeah. that as I'm, as I'm, well, here. yeah, no, that's the joke. They, yeah. When in New York, people would say, yeah. if you said you're an actor, they'd say, what restaurant do you right. work at? Yeah. Okay, see, so they have yeah. jokes for it, right? Yeah. And so, you know, with personal training, it's just like, oh, you're you you just probably look in the mirror and you 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 have sex with your clients. I remember dating this one woman or young lady, I guess at the time, and meeting her mom, and her mom just straight up told me. So do you have sex with your clients? I said, no, I don't have sex with my clients. She goes, isn't that what personal trainers do? No. But but then I realized, you know, I know guys at the gym that I train at that do that. So in my yeah. head, I'm like, shit, you're absolutely right. You know, mm -hmm. but there is a stigma to the industry. There's a stigma to every industry. But yeah. dude, I would have paid handsomely month after month if someone would have said, I'm going to take away your business pain, just like your your cousin there, right, with the the artist, so that you can focus on your art because there's nothing more anxiety provoking than you know what it is that you want to do. But in order to do that, you have to do the things you don't like doing yeah. first. And yeah. and that, that just kills all creativity, passion, enthusiasm. It yeah. just does. Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the biggest challenge really to making something that could be a hobby into a profession, Correct. I think, yeah. because you know, when you need to put food on the table, it, it, if you want to be professional at it, you need to have uh, a system that works all the time, and mm -hmm. that requires all those other things, which yep. is you know difficult to develop. Yeah. Now, now here here is something interesting though, um, and I call it the the buy a car syndrome, buy a used car syndrome. Uh, I'm the king of. I, I used to buy so many used cars, probably like everyone else. Like when you're broke, you know, you you upgrade a car, and to you, it's a new car. It's a new car to me, but it's still used. And I was okay with it. But, you know, whenever you go to buy a used car, at least maybe I was naive and I did this. I, I hey, do you mind if I take it for a test drive? Sure. And you, I would drive it really gentle, right? Okay, it works well. The AC turns on, radio. Okay, great. I'll take it. I'll take the car. And then, of course, until you take it on the highway and really open it up, you start hearing the, oh, my gosh, something's wrong with this. The car is, you know, rattling and shaking. And everything's going to fall apart. What's going on with this thing? I found it as I was building my franchise from 2009 to 2014 that, you know, I thought, man, here it is. I've created a system, a process, a unified brand. I'm going to make it into a franchise because at that time it was just a licensing deal, right? So you would just pay me a monthly fee and you would license out the Fit Body Bootcamp brand. Today it's a legitimate franchise. And, uh, and, and so this is where ego is truly the enemy. I was so driven 
by the fact that I'd created something perfect that each time we got more franchisees on board, I didn't realize that we weren't able to support them. Right. Or I guess at the time licensees, we weren't able to support them as I wanted to support them. And soon around 2011, 2012, we had such a backlash with against people were so in my industry were so anti fit body bootcamp that it was like, if you said Fit Body Bootcamp to any personal trainer, it was like, oh man, you mean the company that just screws you over, that company? Oh, really? That's what it was known as. And I realized that I had a vision. And you spread yourself too thin. I spread myself too thin, and I and I was still operating as an amateur. And by that, I mean, I was still trying to stay awake late at night, watching TV shows till two in the morning, uh, sleep until 8, 8.30, 9 a.m., snooze button. You know, I, I was the king of hitting the snooze button. I'd gotten so good that I could change the time on my alarm clock without even being fully awake. And I used to take pride in that, you know. I got to interrupt you for one second, because since meeting you and Craig Ballantyne, who we may or may not get into right now, but I, I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Um, it, the snooze button, you guys have this big thing. So when I was in college, my roommate, Eric Santiago, I was on the top bunk, he was on the bottom bunk, and I would hit snooze so much that at one point, I went to hit snooze one morning, and my radio kept playing, and I hit it again, it didn't go, so I, I said, oh, okay, and I just turned off the whole, I, whatever I had to do, I turned it off. The next morning came, I hit snooze button, it didn't turn off again. This happened maybe two or three days oh. in a row. I finally, I look, I crane my neck over the, the bunk bed, and I see him with his hands behind his head and a shit-eating grin. And I go, did you, what'd you do to my snooze button? He's like, you know, Matt, you're abusing the snooze button. So I removed that function. <laughs> he literally, he dismantled the clock, somehow took out the snooze yeah, button yeah, yeah. and got rid of it. So we still joke about it to this day. And then when Brilliant. I met you guys and heard about the no snooze yeah. button thing, I, I was laughing because I'm like, oh God, that, that oh, was me. Dude, dude, there, there, there's so much to be said that, you know, just like a car, you know, when you're starting out as an entrepreneur or maybe an actor or any industry, when you only have one or two gigs or one or two uh, customers, you go, you know what? I got this. I can stay awake late at night and party and and still make money. This is good. But I wasn't able to stay in that mindset uh, too long because my business was falling apart and I had a massive anxiety attack in 2014. And Craig and I have so many things in common in, in that way. And that's when I turned to Craig. He was a client of mine. And I said, Craig, you are the most disciplined client that I have. You know, you got to teach me. I went to the doctor. The doctor's like, you got to create more structure in your day. You need, you need, you need to get, get better sleep. I said, Craig, teach me how. Yeah. And so before he ever wrote that book. He's the master oh, of that. He, he, yeah, sometimes to, a, to an excessive degree. Yeah. Um, and, and I love him like a brother. And, and, no, and he I, said he, yeah. you learned discipline from him and he learned how to be warm. From you. Yeah, I think I think we compliment each <laughs> yeah, other well yeah. that way, yeah. And, and so before he ever wrote that book, The Perfect Day Formula, man, I learned personal discipline and structure through him, and that helped me overcome my anxieties and really build this Fit Body Bootcamp brand into what I had envisioned it to be, which is now a you know two-time Inc. 5000 company, Entrepreneurs 500, fastest growing fr uh, franchise list. You name it, we're on the list. Congratulations, but it, what, by the way. Thank you. But it wasn't really until... I went from this analogy that I use from a crop duster to a fighter jet, you know, hmm. and when I, when I say that to people, they, they get it. Cause I go, you would never strap on a bomb to a crop duster and take it out to war. It's not designed for that. Yeah. And so you can't be an amateur or crop duster entrepreneur and expect to impact millions of lives and make millions of dollars. 
Because to me, I used to have a bad relationship with money. Now I can talk about money as a tool. Money is a vehicle to freedom, and it's a tool in which way I serve people. And so it's funny that I went from that mindset of we always run out of money before we run out of time right. or month, like my dad would say. And today I talk about money. Like I talk about Operation Money Extraction. And in fact, you were in the meeting upstairs. And when I ended the meeting, I said, go out there and make more money. Yeah. Because to me, money is, and, and they all know that, money is meaning. Yeah. That's it. You know what's interesting about that? Because I, I've had a, you know, my relationship to money, which as as I think everybody's is is kind of a long story. Um, but you are one of these people that gives me faith in the idea that, you know, you can do really well and and you can still be a great person and and in fact have more power to do good in the world. Sure. Uh, I think I used to have a and, and still maybe in some degrees have it, but a, a thing where I, I thought of it as like, you know, shady or evil in some way to have so much of it. Yeah. But you you really, you know, I, I hung out with you, I think a few times, having no idea what you even did for a living and just liked you and thought you were a warm guy who was friends with Jay and had driven in from like an hour away. I had no idea what you did. I just like, oh, I like this guy. and And you don't... It's it's interesting with you. You just you don't wear it out there in a way that's ostentatious. You're very uh, down to earth. I, I feel like you really are serving, and the whole Thank spirit you. of this whole place is to is to serve people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I'll, that also comes from my dad, right? It, it, so much of it is upbringing, and and as I as I meet Donovan upstairs, your son, like, you know, what a great gentle kid he is, and. I could see that you guys obviously have taken the time to raise him right. And so much of it is that my dad took the time, even though we were broke, we were poor. Uh, he sometimes doubted that I make the right decision to bring my kid here. He still taught me to open doors, be gentle, uh, to never be loud, uh, but let my actions speak for themselves. And so I kind of carry that into being an entrepreneur. You know, I, today I call my son, I say, buddy, you're going to be a modern day knight. There's not too many modern day knights anymore. Because, you know, we'll watch like... Great book, by the way. Yes. Ethan Hawke. Do you know that book? Wait. The, the Knight's Book? No, no, no. I, oh, I thought okay. you were talking about oh. the, the building of a modern day knight. Oh, no. Because that's, that's another book. Oh, okay. But no, Ethan Hawke has a yeah, book. Yeah, he called... wrote this book. He transcribed it from his ancestors. It's really cool. It's short. You yeah. can read it to your kid at bed. Uh, it's it's about being a knight. And it's all these oh, principles wow, wow, of... Wow. Uh, it's it's really cool. Okay. I think it's called the Knight's Book. Okay. Yeah. I really believe. See, after I read uh, Building the Modern Day Knight, I realized, you know what? There's always a place for knights. It's not just a medieval thing where the guy with the sword and the armor. Like even today, we need we have our military guys and gals. Those are our modern day knights. The our our, our police and firefighters, first responders. Those are our modern day knights that they are willing to take a, a small piece of income in exchange for a high risk thing to protect you and me people they've never met those are modern day knights and and i believe that we need to raise our sons to be modern day knights and so i said buddy you're going to be a modern day knight and uh and here's why you're going to do that and and there's been times that i've i was driving through a walmart parking lot 10 years ago i still remember this and a lady probably in her 50s was trying to change her tire she's obviously had a flat tire you know pulled over opened my door Ma'am, would you mind if I help you? No, I got it. I'll do it myself. You know? Yeah. No worries. And I could easily just have a chip on my shoulder and say, you know what? No more room for modern day nights. But I know that if I just keep doing the right thing, even when no one's looking, even when no one 
someone snaps at me, that is the right thing to do. And so anyway, so all this to say that it comes from my dad raising me right. And I have an obligation to pay it forward to my kids. But um, today, money is just a vehicle to serve for me. Well, let me get that because, uh, you know, I have the uh, same intentions. Uh, I don't think I've quite executed on the level that you have. I really am, am impressed. And one of the things, well there's, well, there's two things. There's so many things I could talk to you about as, you know, we could probably talk for eight hours straight, um, but we'll start to wind it down, I guess. Um, but two things, delegating. Yeah. I have a problem with it. I'm I'm learning. Uh, I'm, I'm trying. I have a really hard time delegating. Yeah. And you are a master of it here. Just seeing even the layout of the place and where it, the way this operation runs. I want to I want to ask you a little bit more about that and how you learned it and what your path was to where you are today. And then the other thing I'd love to talk about your the date nights that you do with your daughter sure. and your son and your wife. Yeah. Um every week, I believe. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I want to get into that because I think it's special and I think it's uh, it's really um, something that would be cool for people to hear. But but tell me a little bit about your relationship to delegating. Yes. Were you always this good? I was not. I was, you know, I told you I was a crop duster and I was trying to go to war with a crop duster and I would come back with my ass handed to me every time. Anxiety attacks. Uh, I would get slandered. There's still blog posts out there because once something makes it on the internet, there's blog posts dedicated to me about what an a-hole I was, yeah. you know, in running Fit Body Bootcamp. It wasn't, I wasn't intentionally trying to deliver a donkey when I was selling a unicorn. I thought I was selling a unicorn and delivering a unicorn. Right. I was delivering a donkey, dude. Right. And people But this wrote, is what I love about you. You told me this the other night. We were talking and, and you've done so well for yourself. And you said to me, you said, go Google Bedros Koulian ripoff. Yeah. And there, there are websites devoted to saying that I'm a ripoff. I love that you ha- that you are willing to expose that and say that and acknowledge it and say, yeah, you can think what you may, but this is what I'm doing. And maybe I've made mistakes here. This is what I'm trying to do here. It certainly, to me, doesn't sound like ripoff, but it sounds like you are looking back and going, oh, there was this period where I wasn't delivering the goods. I wasn't. So, I wasn't. And I deserve those scars. And those scars are reminders for me. And I like that. And here's why. Listen, make no mistake about it. I mean, you were in our meeting and I and I, and I was really proud of our team. We sold 30 franchises this last month. Well, people buying those franchises do a little Google search, right? Fit Body Bootcamp, Bedros Koulian, the CEO. They want to know about you. and what Yeah, they're, they're about to give you money. They're about and, to give you yeah, money, a yeah. lot of money. And so- when people, well, every month, people, two to, three, two to three, sometimes four people a month, find those websites and they remind our sales team, uh, you know, here, here's a blog post that I found that says Fit Body Bootcamp is a scam and Bedros promises a unicorn, delivers a donkey. Um, not in those exact eloquent words, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm always reminded of that. And so those scars always remind me, now I promise a unicorn, I deliver a double unicorn, right? Yeah. Because of that. And I think we need those scars. We need to address them. We all have them. We can't just bury our head in the sand. I think those who bury their heads in the sand kind of let their ego take over and go, you know what? I'm good. It's just those people didn't understand it. So they treated my product like a donkey. If someone didn't understand my product, I didn't do a good job of un- of explaining my product. It was me. It was me. So where delegation is concerned, though, mm. going, going back to that, I realized that if I really wanted to help millions of people, like today, we estimate there's about 6 million people every morning who wake up who have been impacted by a Fit Body Bootcamp worldwide, right? Like that to me is huge. How many? 6 million people every morning. Wow. Yeah. And that is huge to us, right? We've got uh, 600, 
almost 600 locations worldwide. Um, each location has served uh, at least a thousand clients. Each of those clients has family members, right? Some of them are school teachers, and they and we love getting the feedback. Like, yeah, I, I I started teaching my students how to pack healthier foods because their parents weren't packing healthier foods. Like one Fit Body Bootcamp client who's a teacher impacted a whole classroom of kids, a generation, right? Yeah. Like to me, that's huge. But our goal is to really impact 100 million lives worldwide by the year 2025. For that to happen, I have to be a master at delegation. And and, and over the weekend uh, during that during that. Uh, party at Jay Farouche's house, I was telling you about the 5% rule. Yeah. Right? The 5% rule was, again, another another battle scar that I have and I think back to. I I had a, my, my coaching program at the time for trainers cost $5,000. I was running my business from home. This was some 15 years ago. My wife came to the guest house that I was running my business from, and we just had one employee at the time, one assistant, part-time. Her name was Amanda. And, and she said, man, the, the sprinkler is like shooting off like a jet out there on the grass, you know, can you come fix the sprinkler? And I said, yeah, sure. I'm a pretty handy guy. I'll come down and fix the sprinkler. Well, in that time, we got a call in and Amanda took the call and she was supposed to hand it off to me and I sell them on my $5,000 coaching program. And then I helped that gym owner build their gym over the next 12 months, you know, make more money, get more clients. Amanda comes running downstairs and she says, hey, dude, I've got someone on the phone. They wanted your coaching program. You got to sell them. I said, Amanda, I'm covered with water and mud all over. You've got this. You've heard me you know, sell people over the phone. You've got this. I know you do. She went upstairs and she did something out of her zone of genius. Her zone of genius is to connect with these people, schedule their call with me, and then get them on the call with me and then hand them over. That's her zone of genius. My zone of genius is to be on the phone, to sell them my coaching program, and then to mentor them for 12 months until they have a successful business. My zone of genius was not to fix that sprinkler, which, so I could have paid someone $20 an hour to fix that sprinkler. I lost a $5,000 sale at the time that I needed it most. You know, I didn't have the wealth that I've created now. I needed that $5,000 was like $50,000 to us. Even worse, when I think back to it, that trainer either didn't get coaching from anyone else, or if they did, they got it from someone who's not as good as a coach, business coach as I am. And so their business didn't succeed as well. They didn't impact the lives they could have with their fitness, which makes me misaligned with my mission in life, right? Mm-hmm. And so the 5% rule now is, you know, my wife says, hey, you know, the light bulb's burnt out. I go, honey, light bulb's not in my 5%. Uh, the garbage disposal's burnt out. The garbage disposal is not in my 5%. We can now get people, call someone else to do it. My yeah. 5% is to delegate, motivate, and sell. So I, w- I want to say this, full disclosure, we had this conversation we watched the fight last Saturday night. Mm-hmm. We had this exact conversation. You told me about the 5% rule. I said, oh, that's brilliant. Now, this past move, this past week, we moved. I completely threw that out the window and, and did so many things <laughs> that I should have hired someone and delegated. Sure. And, you know, Deirdre, if you're listening to this at some point, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I really, you know, it's, it's like you hear it, you hear something that really drops with you. And I, I only mention it because the, the whole point of this is people are listening. It's hopefully to give um, some inspiration and to also say, I'm very mindful of this. You just told me personally, I know you were right. And yet I turned around and the very week that you told me that I look back at this week and go, I should have delegated way more than I did. But it's, I it's tried a habit. to do too much. It's, a, it's habit, a habit, right? 
So but at least being aware of it is yeah, is yeah. a good step in the right direction. Yeah, I yeah. and I did. I told Jay. I said I finally downloaded Task Rabbit, and I have guys working at the house right now doing something that you know last year I would have tried to do myself. Sure. And thank God I had them do it. Yeah. Um, but I need to do more of it. Yeah. And it's this. It kind of comes from. And tell me if this is for you as well. It comes from this kind of. There's a pride in the in the blue collarness, yeah. if that's a word, yeah. that that I have, and I go, no, 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 I can do it myself. I can dig this ditch myself. I can get dirty, yeah. and so that can be a good thing. You know, the ability to to say I'm going to get dirty is a good thing, but not if it's at the cost of all these other things. Yeah. And I've been a victim of that. It sounds like you were, but you have yeah. kind of let that go quite a bit. You know, you you have to because you soon realize that you've got a bigger purpose on this planet. Like you have a bigger purpose on this planet, dude. Like my wife and I went on a date night. We we I even remember where we ate at Cha Cha's in Brea, and then we went to the theater across the street and we watched Hot Pursuit. Right. So as far as I'm concerned, you've got an obligation to me and my wife to make more awesome movies like that that are huh. fun and funny, so that I can have a better relationship with my wife. Now watch the trickle down effect. When I have better date nights with my wife. My wife is okay with me being this workhorse, this fighter jet who's relentlessly locked on to changing the world through fitness. So you see, like, you helping us have a better date night makes my wife more pliable with my mission in life. Does that make sense? That's so interesting to hear because I don't <laughs> – it's so funny. It's the same thing when you said, oh, you're here and you're excited to have me. And I'm going, you're excited to have me. I'm excited to have you on this podcast. It, it, it's interesting I've ne certainly never thought of it that way, that I'm helping you have a better date night. That's yeah. funny. To and me. the better date night translates into a better business for me. The better business for me translates into more impact of helping yeah. millions of people lose weight and feel better about themselves. So right? me doing all these uh, odds and ends tasks around my place is taking me away from my mission, yeah. which is taking me away from You're helping you. Us. So that's interesting. Us, your audience, huh. your fans. You're, you're, that, truly, that's the way you, look, you have to look at it. And so I'm not serving... If I decide to change a light bulb, if I decide to to, to vacuum a, uh, something, I am not serving my audience. And if I'm not serving my audience in the market space that I should be, I'm not living my purpose. And if I'm not living my purpose, soon the darkness sets in and depression, uh, the, the, the feeling of, of maybe I, I'm just not a good person. And we all have that dark side. And I'm convinced that the reason there's more prescription drugs being written for mood-altering prescription drugs more than ever right now than ever before is because so many people are misaligned with what their passion or their purpose should be. Yeah. And so, dude, you know what your passion and purpose should be. Put out more, more movies for me to watch and laugh at and enjoy so that I can go and dominate the world. And I need to go and dominate the world so that I can fight the McDonald's and the soda company and the Frito-Lay companies who keeps making society fatter. Like, really, we're on the same team. It's just mm. you got to serve me so that I can go out and serve them, yeah. right? And that, that that's uh, that's how it works. Yeah, we're yeah. really so connected. Right? I don't. I'm not a woo woo kind of guy, but I realize like we are so connected. When I come out to see Jay in Costa uh, Costa Mesa in in Santa Monica, I I'm not an extrovert. He's an extrovert. I live vicariously through him. I get to decompress for a minute, and not be this gung ho entrepreneur. And I had such a good time hanging out with you and Jay that I came back the next day. It was like working twice as hard because that to me, I'm reward driven. Right. I'll work twice as hard if I know I've got a reward with friends. I'm going to go out and have some drinks and sushi with friends. Yeah. And so the way I look at it is like Jay has a purpose in my life. Like he's got a purpose of like 
making making me have fun because I I will forget to have fun. He was so like, happy, by the way. Yeah, how, he, he's, he I think he put that picture on oh, of you that. smiling and yeah. said, look at that smile. He was yeah, he because yeah. really I do was. lock on, and so you know, like some, Jay has a gift of making people laugh. Yeah, and putting their guard down, and 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 I look to him for that. Yeah. You know, it's like maybe I'm part of your pit crew. You're part of my pit crew. Right. You know, if we're right. all supercars, I'm part of your pit crew. Because if I can teach you just a little bit more of the 5% delegation rule and you can delegate, you'll make a, you'll do one more audition or, or, or one more podcast that will impact 10, 20, a hundred thousand lives. Yeah. Yeah. That, I don't know. That's how I look at it. Yeah, I know mean, you're making, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's cool for me while we're actually having this interview for me to be kind of stopped in my tracks going, huh, you're really making me see something uh, in, a, in a new way that I, I haven't seen it quite that way before. Um, and, and interesting, we talked about this a little bit the other night. Uh, we talked about saying no to things. Mm. And then I think I told you my friend, Kimmy Culp, who I'd interviewed for this show, she was the first interview. Uh, I told her that and she said, oh, I've been talking to someone who said, say yes to everything. I said, say yes to everything. Then you, you can't do anything. She said, no, it's, it's more in, in this instance, instead of thinking of it as say no to going and fixing the sprinkler so you can sell the the person on the phone, yeah. it's say yes to selling the person on the phone. And that will automatically mean saying no, no to things others. like doing the sprinkler because you've that. said yes to all these other things. But her, her thing was use the word yes, as opposed to no, you're, you're doing the same thing, but yeah. it, it really is, I guess, streamlining, figuring out what your, what your passion is, what your goals are, what your, what the route is. And then, you, you know, you can veer off a little bit, but it's, you know, you can have road stops but know that this is the road you're right. on. And you my road is different path. than your road, and we may cross and intersect at certain points, but um, I'm really interesting. That, that there's a, a term I had never, you know, there was that show Dharma and Greg mm -hmm. for years. I never knew what the term Dharma was referring to until recently on, on a podcast I heard someone talking about, uh, it was, I, I think it was about setting boundaries, and she was saying, going to a restaurant you know, being honest and kind, but if if someone comes back and says, "How is the food?" You you know, instead of just going, "Oh, it was great," and it really isn't, you, or "How is the service?" Well, actually, you know, it wasn't awesome, is how she put it. And she said, "You know, maybe that can be seen as being cruel to that person. Maybe they maybe they lose their job. Well, who knows what happens in an extreme situation?" Sure. She said, "But maybe their dharma was not, and I didn't realize that was the term, was not to be a waiter. Their dharma was to go be." Uh, you know, yes, a mechanic or, sure. or, a, or to go be a trainer or to go have a pot, whatever it was, you're actually being kinder to that person to give them real feedback instead of just yeah. kind of placating them by saying, yeah, yeah, it's Dude, fine. I it's believe fine. that 100%. That makes total sense. Because if I understand there's like a fluke where, you know, Hey, if I'm a, if I'm a server, Hey, all my stations were full. I was just overwhelmed. I wasn't able yeah. to serve you. But if it's consistently, I'm not good at it. It's because I'm not passionate about it. Yeah. And if I don't have passion, someone needs to get me fired if I'm not I don't have the balls to quit. Yep. So that I can go and find my path. Yeah. 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 I love that. I didn't know what that's what Dharma meant. I I didn't either and I'm sure I'm still not giving a clear definition. I've watched that show up, for so long and I, I never no I never even yeah, I'm huh. <laughs> and and it was just that's the it was it dropped when I heard this and the way she put it it's not their dharma. I guess yeah. so it's your purpose, I sure. guess. Purpose, I, yeah. I'm sure someone else can give me a better definition, but um so 
in the in the spirit of just keeping this not being you know, 50 hours that I want it to be. Uh, we can always have you back in the future. I would love that. Uh, I, love I, that. I really, really appreciate you taking the time from, you know, to pause from yeah. the empire, as I will call it now, and and sit down with me. Uh, it's 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 really cool. Oh, oh, you know what? Um, you've got a book. I know it's not even coming out till what, next uh, July year? July of 2018. Man Up. Have you written other books before? Uh, I've written self-published books in, for my industry, teaching personal trainers how to sell and market. Okay. Uh, those were self-published books in my industry. You, like you would have never found them on Amazon or a bookstore. But this one is uh, going to be up, out there. Yeah, Man Up. Uh, and the whole title is Man Up, Cut Your Bullshit and Dominate Your Path is really about, uh, and it's through a wonderful publishing company called Ben Bella. They wrote, they published The China Study, which was a, like a, was on the New York Times bestseller list for 26 weeks straight. And... Um, but anyway, Man Up is really about my journey as an entrepreneur. And it's not just for entrepreneurs. It's anyone who knows that they've got a path and a greater potential to hit, but don't know how to hit that. They, they are spinning their wheels and they're not reaching their fullest potential. And it's about becoming an effective leader, being clear on your vision, and of course, building the right team around you. Now, for me, the team is 42 people who work for me, but the team could also be your spouse and your friends and your colleagues, your support system, yeah. right? And so I realized that when Fit Body Bootcamp was failing and it was on its deathbed, um, it was my fault. I was an ineffective leader. I was unclear with my vision of what I wanted for Fit Body. Do I want it to be a licensed program or a franchise? If it's a franchise, uh, how many locations do I want? When do I want those locations by? Do I want 5,000 locations, 5,000 owners, or 5,000 locations with 1,000 owners, meaning each owner would have five locations? I was so unclear. Today, I'm so crystal clear on my path and my, my team respects me because of it. Um, and and we only hire fighter jets. And we do that because we develop fighter jets. We hire regular people who we turn into superhuman team members. You know, And I call them a team because employees will always clock in a little bit late and clock out a little bit early and do the bare minimum to maintain their job. But a team member really is we're a united front with a common goal, and that goal is to win at the sport. And this is the sport. We are fighting obesity. I'm not fighting other franchises in the fitness industry. I'm fighting McDonald's and Taco Bell and Coca-Cola and Snickers and Frito-Lay. And so I need my team to be fighter jets. So really, Man Up is really about how I manned up as an entrepreneur and was able to reach my potential, and, and, and I am in route to my potential. And anyone who's got this potential, whether it's in relationships, health, they're not at their fullest potential with their health and their relationship and their finances and their personal growth, or as an entrepreneur, that book will give you those three pillars and get you on your path. Oh, I, I got to get an advanced copy because I yes, can't sir. wait till when is it coming out? Like next uh, August? J July of 2018. July of 2018. Yeah, That's yeah. too long. I, I I think that one is going to be super successful. And I'm going to put you, you, as Jay would say, in an arm bar until I get an advanced. <laughs> Although you're bigger than me, so I don't know if that'll work. But I'm, a, I'm like but, my dog. I'm, I'm just, I will hold but, you and cuddle with but you. But I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want an advanced copy because I need Absolutely, that information man. now. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, you know, what, one thing I want to say before we wrap it up and we'll give all your social media and all that, what is it? At Bedros Koulian? Yeah, every, everything is at just, Bedros Koulian. You can yeah. find him. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, but before we, we get, we really wrap it up, I just want to say, you know, you're talking about, um, 
you know, fighting obesity and all of that. And yet, and, and your book's called Man Up. And I'm sure, I'm just, I'm just anticipating if people can go like, oh, well, he's all, you know, he's this like sure. macho guy who's, you know, just trying to get everybody fit. And, and I think, and hopefully it comes out in the spirit of you through the interview. But, you know, you, you do this thing that, that you, you told me about that, um, where you take your daughter on a date every yeah, week yeah. and you take and you go with your son every every week and you go with your wife every week yeah. and just just kind of I, I want people to hear this the the thing that you do with your daughter which I think is it's funny and it's brilliant yeah. how you how you just just walk <laughs> us through that how you treat her and and the kind of the intention behind it sure yeah. and, and and the every, protective <laughs> intention behind it <laughs> every dad and you you know you you relate to this every dad listening to this will relate and uh so, so Wednesday nights are date nights for me and my wife, which just, it's always on the calendar Wednesday nights. And it was a Wednesday night that we, in fact, we saw Hot Pursuit back huh. in 2015. And, and so right around 2014, so my daughter was uh, seven years old. We, uh, she, she was like, where, where are you going with mommy? And I was like, oh, we go on dates. So what's a date? You know, when we go and we connect and just us adults and we just, you know, we talk about our week and, and we talk about how great you guys are as kids. And she was asking these questions. I go, holy smokes. Time is going to fly so quickly. She'll be going on a date soon enough. I better teach her what a proper date is like and, and you know, what to expect of a guy. And so I said, honey, what do you say we go on a date tomorrow? She goes, sure. And so, of course, that was a, tomorrow's going to be a Thursday. And uh, I said, well, all right, usually the daddy or the guy will take you to a restaurant. So what restaurants do you want to go to? She goes, Chick-fil-A. I go, great. We're going to go to Chick-fil-A. So we went to Chick-fil-A. And I went around the car and I opened the door for her. It's like I do for my wife. And I go, hey, honey, just so you know, you know, this is how it's supposed to be. The, the guy is supposed to open the, the girl's door, okay? All right, dad. And then when we're in the car, she goes, so what do you guys do, you and mom, when you guys are driving to the restaurant? You know, we typically hold hands. And so she put her hand out and we just held hands. And I'm, uh, uh, and we held hands and I've got a, a Yukon Denali, like a Chevy Tahoe, and, I, and I'm, our hands, and I see her tiny little hand in my hand. And uh, I was like, I got to make this an everyday kind of thing, like an every week kind of thing. And so every Thursday since, unless, you know, it's a rare thing when I'm traveling, uh, every Thursday we go out on a date, Chick-fil-A or CPK or sometime Wahoos. It's never anything fancy. Then we'll go bowling afterwards. But I open the door for her. And now that she's nine, almost 10, I, I tell her, you know, in the future, when you date a boy, you're going to find a boy, you know, attractive. He's going to make you feel funny in your tummy. And when you date a boy, he's going to open your door for you. And if he doesn't, you just turn right back around and you you come to daddy or you call me and, and I'll be right there to come and punch him in the face. <laughs> and, uh, and she goes, okay, daddy. And I go, by the way, when you guys are in the car, if you're just going to hold hands just like me and mommy do, just like you and I do on our Thursday night dates. And if he wants anything more than holding your hands, and she doesn't even ask what, she's so innocent, right? Yeah. I go, if he wants anything more, and, and uh, then you just get right out of that car and you call daddy and I'm right there to punch him in the face. Okay, daddy. <laughs> and I, you know, part of it is because I was, I, 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 I was a young man, right? Yeah. And, you know, we just, we can be, we can just be idiots as young men. Yeah. And, and I don't want my daughter to fall prey to some idiot like I was in the past. Uh, at the same time, I want her to respect herself. I want her to be empowered. I want her to feel like I have a voice. And for that to happen, I have to teach her. Like, I didn't yeah. learn so much etiquette. I didn't learn. Like, my dad taught me, like, you have to be a gentleman, you know? But I didn't learn proper. Dude, I would eat until a couple years ago with my with my elbows on a table, right? Like an yeah. animal. I didn't know how to hold a fork. And I had to yeah. learn all that stuff. 
because we came to this country, we were poor, we were broke, we're eating out of dumpsters. Like, you're not eating bologna with a fork and a knife, you yeah. know, you're just eating it the way it is. And so anyway, so, and then with my son, once a month, me and my son go on a boys weekend. And so this month we're going to Malibu and we're going to uh, take our mountain bikes and then do the trails there in Malibu, surf for a day and then, and then come right back. So it'll be like a two day boys trip. And it's just, and I, and what I love about that is I found it's not like it's fancy. I mean, you're driving there. Everything's usually with me and my son. Well, a couple of times we've flown to a place, but most of it is a drive and I like the drive. Uh, and, And I'm sure you've probably noticed this with your son, Donovan, I found that when you're in the car and you're both facing forward, you can have those weird little conversations. Did you steal this from me? No. Do you know this is a theory of mine? No. Are you serious? Oh, <laughs> really? Yes. There's something I've been saying this safe for years. about that, right? I've been saying this for years, man. Holy smokes. Yeah, I've been saying it because I I realized that when I was in, you know, high school going on, you go on ski trips, we'd drive up to Vermont and you'd sit there and you'd get in these really deep conversations on the way up because you're both... You're both looking forward. It's not so yes. intimate. You yes, can, and, and there's like a changing landscape, so you're getting Whoa. stimuli going through the whole thing. Yeah, and then I've driven cross country so many times, and 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 even driving out here, taking Donovan, which yeah, is yeah. I didn't know they were off of school until like two days ago. I didn't realize. I thought just Labor Day was off, so I didn't realize. And all of a sudden, we were in a jam. And I said, "You're coming with me." And as we were driving, I said, "I love taking road trips with you." He said, well, this isn't a real road trip, but we drove cross country together yeah, I remember last that. last summer. Or yeah, this, not this past summer, last summer. And it, it was amazing. But that is, I, I completely yeah. agree. The road trip idea is, is yeah, that, that's so funny. That is nuts. I'm getting goosebumps again just hearing you say that because- Watch where everybody listening is like, yeah, we knew that. <laughs> Yeah, it's always you and me are the last you to know. You came up yeah. with the road yeah. trip idea. So your theory. Okay, so the yeah. road yeah. trip now belongs yeah. to you guys. But you know, like for a whole like nine months, I was putting off the birds and the bees talk, and then one day we're going to Dana Point to surf. We got our boards in the back of uh, my truck, and we're going. I don't know, and I just felt compelled. Like I'm like, hey buddy, have you heard of the birds and the bees? He's like, birds and the bees. I'm like, okay, have you heard of sex? He goes, yeah, dad. You know, like I'm ten years old. I'm like, we kind of need to have that talk, dude. He's like, all right. And then we were just both looking forward and it was easier. easier than I imagined. In my head, I had imagined we're sitting like this across from each other. And dude, my butthole would pucker just thinking about the fact that I'm going to sit across my son and explain the birds and the bees. Yeah. In that truck, it was so easy. <coughs> bless you. <coughs> bless you again. And bless you again. Uh, I usually, <laughs> the, I usually go in threes and okay. fours. My cousin Artie is listening to this. He'll be excited. He he gets excited about the fact that I can, I can sneeze. sneeze. <laughs> yeah, whenever he has a double sneeze, he, he texts me. I don't know what the obsession is. But uh, yeah. So always, so anyway, so that's anyway. that's the theory. And I'm glad we shared the same theory about that. I, yeah. I think there's some science to it. It's only our theory. Nobody yeah. else yeah, nobody has else. ever nobody thought else. that. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Well, look, we, we'll we'll do it again. Thank you very much for being here. Bedros Koulian, I hope you guys... No, it's my pleasure. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And um, look out for uh, the book Man Up, July of 2018. Hopefully I'll have him back here before that. But um, that is it. Enjoy and have a great week wherever you're going.